welcome to a really special kind of interview uh, addition to the podcast. With me today is JP and Jeffrey. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, gentlemen. I hear that you guys ha have this kind of a collection, right? You're, you you want to come talk to us about Nintendo Switch, uh, about collections, and uh, this is a passion. So uh, I wanted to kind of, uh, kind of bring you both on board. Maybe we can have a bit of an introduction about who you are, what you do, and uh, and we'll go from there. So maybe JP will throw to you first. Sure, hi. So uh, first off, thanks for having us. Uh, we're, we're glad to be here. Uh, my name's JP. For those who don't know, I'm a very big Nintendo Switch collector. I have my own uh, social media channel and website called JP Switch Mania, where I just share all the upcoming physical releases. Uh, I used to do unboxings. I show off all the goodies. I run giveaways, stuff like that. And now I've transformed that passion of collecting to publishing. And that's uh, what how Jeff and I now have this uh, business called Premium Edition Games that we'll get into in just a little bit. And uh, before you know, Jeff introduces himself, another thing that Jeff and I were doing previous to uh, starting this company is a weekly podcast series called Switchmania Playcast, where we just get to share our passion on a weekly basis about uh, a game that we're playing, the new games that have come out, news in the Nintendo Switch world, things like that. Uh, and we've just blossomed this friendship and passion for the Switch uh, into this business that, like I said, we'll uh, we'll talk more about in a little bit. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. That's really, that's that's a very, uh, I love that kind of like spinning and, and kind of just rolling out of like, started with this passion and now here oh, we yeah. are. And and obviously we're gonna talk about uh, potentially some some Kickstarter news uh, as well as some, some success yeah. there. Uh, Jeff, how about you? I'll throw over to you. Yeah, so thanks for having us on. Um, so I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen. Uh, multiple published author, been publishing books with with um, Hagen's Alley books for the last six years. Um, have multiple authors signed, and we have over 20 books out there in the ether. Uh, when with JP and I, we actually published last year the Switch Collector Volume One, which we're here to talk about Volume Two. That's live on Kickstarter, of course. Um, as well as I've done the complete NES, the complete SNES, the complete Virtual Boy, which is over 100 pages, believe it or not. Wow. Um, a Culture that, that Chronicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Culture Chronicles that goes year by year, where I'm covering 1990, 1991, um, the hidden gaming gems, all sorts of books, and strategy guides uh, with one of my authors, 8-Bit Steve, who does the Easy Way series, where how to beat Friday the 13th on the NES, the easy way, nice. um, which is really cool. Right, and bro. then, of course, co-owner of Premium Edition Games with JP. Um, and then a little bit of my my cred. Um, I've also been in the Bits of Yesterday documentary uh, that's on Amazon Prime as well as on DVD. And I was actually the commentator in the boom Tetris for Jeff meme for the Tetris World Championships finals, the one that went viral and wow. is on ESPN. <laughs> there you go, right? So I got a little yeah. bit of cred. Yeah, <laughs> I cred. Like when, it, when, it, when a guest can say, here's my cred, right? Yep. Here's my biography, but let's talk about my actual credibility, right? I think that's a, that's a good place to start. Uh, so let's kind of really jump into this because it sounds like both of you just have this real passion for for obviously a couple of things for collecting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the Switch specifically. And then I think we've seen that connect in with, with um, uh, Nintendo history and this timeline as well. And maybe let's start with, obviously you guys had a book that came out on Kickstarter. Maybe yep. JP, you can tell us a little bit about that and then, and then kind of where you are right now. And, and yeah. obviously I just saw Kickstarter a couple moments ago, the successful funding of book sure. number two, uh, but maybe you can provide us some insight about that <laughs> and obviously where we could direct our audience to, to find that information as well. 
Yeah, sure. So I'll start with Jeff. If I miss anything, just interrupt me. Uh, but a year ago, just a little over a year ago, back in September 2019, we launched the Switch Collector Volume 1. And what this series is going to be about is we want to document all the physical releases from the Nintendo Switch year by year. Uh, year one was relatively simple to do in just one volume because there was, I believe, under 100 physical titles. And so we documented all of those. We showed the artwork. Jeff does a review along with some other reviewers of every single game that released that year. We talk about the highlights of the digital only titles, uh, some collector aspects in my section um, and things like that. Year two, though, um, is much, much bigger to the point where volume two has to be split or year two has to be split into two volumes. Wow. So don't, volume forget, two, don't forget JP volume one is really small. It's only 312 pages. Exactly. Only, <laughs> only. <laughs> only. Now year two is going to be covering March uh, to September of the, um, uh, of year two. And what's crazy about this is, as Jeff alluded to, the book is huge already. I think it's what over 400 pages. Um, yeah. So and- um, I did the calculations and the entirety of year two would have been about 800 over 850 pages. Um, when you do binding, if you do anything over 500 pages, it becomes a little temperamental when it comes to the quality control. So we split her into to two different volumes because of that. So it's going to be at least 400 pages for volume two, which only covers up to the, the end of the year rush essentially. Yeah. And what's crazy is that this Kickstarter is still going on just, just about a week left. So, you know, little plug now, if you haven't backed it already, head on over to Kickstarter. Um, It got funded in 25 minutes. I mean, it was a record for Hagen's Alley. Uh, Mm -hmm. It crushed, you know, our volume one from a year ago. And it just goes to the wonderful community that we're a part of, uh, which is really the Nintendo Switch community because, you know, they, book one is already out. So people got to have that hold in their hands. And now they see what the future volumes are going to be. And what's awesome is that year two is where all these indie and limited publishers start making the scene on the Switch. So we get to start documenting those as well, as opposed to just the mass retail games. So I think it just adds a whole new level of of collecting, of the type of releases that we're starting to see in year two. Um, And yeah, the Kickstarter is going really strong right now. We crushed, I think, two stretch goals. And we're working towards the third one, which Jeff, you have to remind everybody what that third stretch goal is. So the, the third stretch goal is going to be um, improved binding where we're going to have head and tail bands and everything will be sewn into the spine. So it'll be a really high quality binding on the book. And what we'd like to do with stretch goals is add extra aesthetics to the book. That's mm-hmm. free of charge for everyone. And there's a secret stretch goal. That's the fourth one. And if we hit that, it's going to be an extra physical item that we're going to give everyone for free. That's fantastic. Excellent. We want to hit that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And you're less than eight days away, right? As, yeah. as we're, we're talking now. And you just go over to Kickstarter right now and it's just Switch Collection, right? Collector. No. Uh, if you type in the Switch Collector, uh, it should pop up, but the Switch Collector Volume 2 is the official name, uh, but it'll pop right up. Uh, I think it's a little over 346% funded right now. It, it's going really strong and it's just a fun series. I mean, you know, being collectors ourselves, there hasn't been a book yet on the Switch. I mean, this it, Volume 1 was the first book published for the Nintendo Switch. And the fact that we get to continue with this series and, you know, the system is still going very strong. So we've got many years ahead of us, many volumes, but the type of releases that are coming out, the, the amount of international releases, limited releases, I mean, it starts to just explode here and you start to see that in Volume 2. And then obviously in the future, Volume 3, 4 and on, I mean, it's just, 
it's crazy with varying covers, second printings, misprintings. There's a lot of stuff that you could miss. And, you know, it's our job with these books to cover everything. Yeah. And that's, and that's a great question. And so I, you know, as you're, as you're talking about like book one and book two being two novels, I had this, I, I grew up in the the eighties and nineties. And I remember like the encyclopedia Britannica, yep. right. That yep. you buy. And I, I'm imagining this bookshelf behind you of, of all of these, these switch chronicles. And I guess that's a great question. Right. And I think, I think as we, as we begin to look at the life cycle of the switch, your commentary there of like all these misprints and other areas and indies, you know, the eShop as of today, right, is just shy of 7,000 games yeah. and, and it continues mm-hmm. to grow. How does oh, yeah. that like, how does that impact you? Because this must feel, this must feel dauntless. And then you have games that, you know, to your point, it was a retail, but now it's an indie and now a publisher, much yep. like your company, right, yep. um, is now creating a physical version of this. How does that impact your work and how do you chronicleize this <laughs> and, and capture it? Oh, JP, JP, yeah, JP doesn't do any (laughs) research, so it's easy for him. He just lets me do it all. (laughs) Um, So the first things first is like our digital only section, even in volume one, a lot of those games have actually gotten published now, physical, physical releases. And we start as an intro in that section. We say, we hope every one of these games gets physical release because they're all amazing games. So that's the goal is, is that there's actually a way that you can collect and track your collection within the book if you want. And we actually have stickers that you can use, like little checkmark stickers for if you own the game, if you've played the game, and if you've beaten the game. And I use another sticker if the game gets a physical release and I own it. Like So it's like, oh, here's one that's actually gotten its release now. Um, and as, as things are going, though, it's we do a selected digital-only titles because there's so many titles out there that it would just be an infinite book. And it's it becomes a long, long research project, I'll tell you that, in order to do it. I'm all the way out through year four now um, when it comes to research, though. So I, I do the research well in advance, um, and I do the, the writing as I, as I go. Um, I'm into volume three now when it comes to one section. I'm in volume two on another section because we have contributors, too, that are writing. Um, and just want to put out that volume one is still available on the websites, which mm-hmm. is Hagensalley.com and premium edition games.com. We actually put some on premium edition games just to allow people to get a copy there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is limited though, because they have to do another printing and another printing takes time. So if people want the book, they have to, you know, get the book now so you can get it shipped immediately. It ships out same day. So yeah, it's good stuff. Hmm. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit, and, and I, there's there's another spot I want to maybe, uh, Jeff, lean into your your question here, and, and JP hear your feedback on this as well. You know, Jeff, in your intro, you talked about this idea of like a lot of a lot of cro- you know timeline or, or chronologically keeping this information about like here are the games. Where does that passion come from? Because that seems like such a, you know, you said the, the Virtual Boy is a hundred pages, right? Mm-hmm. Where where does that come from, and, and what 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 is that drive that has you saying like I want to I want to kind of create this timeline? So I'm a bit OCD. That's probably the simple answer. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, and the thing was, is that, so I've, I've gotten over the years, a few video game books and there was nothing out there that encapsulated what I wanted for what I was currently collecting, which was the Nintendo entertainment system. Mm-hmm. And I was going to all these conventions and all these game stores and everything. And I'm like, I don't like using my cell phone. All the books that are out there are just text-only writings. I'm like, I want something that shows the box art, the screenshot, and then a way to track what I have because I kept getting the same 
manual for Ninja Gaiden 2 over and over again. I have like three copies. And I'm like, like it looks awesome. I'm like, yes, I don't have that. And I get home and I'm like, oh, I already have Ninja Gaiden 2. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I like literally went and I was like, nobody else is doing it. This is well before a certain NES collector's book was out. Um, and I, I published my first book with the intention of it being a pocket guy because I wanted it to fit in my pocket to go around. Um, I offered a big coffee table book version. 99% of the people wanted the coffee table version. <laughs> and once I got it, it was super amazing. Right. And I followed that up with Super Nintendo because I was also collecting Super Nintendo. Um, and I just started going through that and meeting people along the way and wanting to also capture the stories so not only did I have my complete NES, but then I have the Nintendo Entertainment System Compendium, which is a compendium of stories for the Nintendo. And then on top of it, I have the NES Oddities book that's 500 pages, and it covers all the different unreleased, un, or not unreleased, unreleased games, yes, but unlicensed games, PAL exclusives, Famicom exclusives, and all of the aftermarket homebrew games that are out there up to the point of the publishing of that book. And so it's 500 page massive book have interviews with some of the people developing aftermarket homebrew games. Like I just love the history of all the Nintendo stuff. Um, and ironically, I've had a complete Genesis book ready for a couple years now that I've been writing, but there's I have thousands of write-ups to do for the complete Genesis and JP got me sidetracked with this Nintendo <laughs> yeah, switch sure. <laughs> and I currently collect for the switch. So I, I've literally, that's always been my mentality is if I'm actively collecting for the system, that's going to be my focus. Mm -hmm. I'm in my, and I love all video games, but obviously my nostalgia is Nintendo. Um, I mean, JP and I are both Nintendo dads as well. Relevant. Sure. Look. <laughs> a, a great place to be. Is it not? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But That's but yeah, so it's literally I just enjoy the history and it's great now because I've kind of I mentioned there was three NES books. Well, with the Genesis one, I'm making it all in one. And so that's what we're doing with the Switch Collector. And we're like, we can't get that in one book. It would be a, a giant monumental tome. Mm -hmm. So we're like, we'll do a switchopedia is what I jokingly called it. And so yep. when you said Encyclopedia Britannica, I was like, right on the money. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're doing our switchopedia. And the hardest part now is going to be to keep the previous editions in stock, because that's the main question we get for volume two is, oh, can I pair it with volume one? I'm like, you would have to wait until we publish it. You yeah. can just buy it now and get it to your house like next this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where do you think, um, and there's such, there's such an interesting kind of uh, growth that, I, that I've seen. And maybe it's because, you know, I think we're kids of the 80s and 90s, right? Mm -hmm. And now there's maybe disposable income and, and a little bit of that. Where is this, like, this, this desire, this retro gaming nostalgia, which I think I see, <laughs> which I hear a little bit of sitting, and then this kind of transposed or how that moves over to this idea of, of, of collecting now for the Switch. Yeah. Are these things too, are these connected where does that reside? And I guess, where is, what are your thoughts on these things? Yeah, and, and JP and I are two entirely different collectors. So we probably have different answers. Sure. Um, mine's more holistically goes to the actual vintage collectors market, where if you look at anything, there's typically a 
10 to 20 year nostalgia peak when it comes to anything that's collectible. Once you hit 20, you're supposed to hit that peak and then it's supposed to fall off and nobody's supposed to collect for the NES anymore. According to the experts, nobody should like the NES anymore. Um, Like literally have went into arguments with store owners before. And I'm like, no, no, there's the, the prices are only going to go up. And if you look at the WADA games collections and the steel market now for NES, yeah, like it's went through the roof. Um, so I, I feel like, number one, it has to do with us all hitting our peak of being in the workforce for the NES era. And now you're getting the N64 and GameCube era and PS1 and PS2 era. They're starting to get into the workforce, which they have funds coming in now that they can use to, to spend on things. But it also has to do with generational gaps. So the baby boomer generation they weren't all about entertainment and media as much as the next generation, generation X and beyond are. We grew up in media. I mean, I'm, I was born in the eighties. So grew up in, grew up in media and nostalgia and film and video games started to be established, came into my own in a gamer during the NES era. That's why my nostalgia is there, but that's kind of, where we've seen this progression. So when people that are the quote unquote experts are saying, Oh, everybody's not going to want the NES after this. It's like, no video games are a different beast. Number one, you don't just put them on the shelf, JP, um, and you play them. <laughs> and, but also they build upon each other when it comes to franchises and series. So yeah. if you play Mario Odyssey, well, where did that start? Go all the way back. Um, and, and that's exactly it. And now these companies know this and, and it's selling. So Nintendo's putting out nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So when I say JP and I are different, like I collect what I want for the switch and the switch covers every generation, all the way from, you know, second generation with Atari collections, all the way up to the modern stuff with getting re-releases of certain current gen things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I collect what I want, but then you got JP who is the, <laughs> completionist I, uh, yeah i i don't even know how it started the funny thing is that i actually had fallen out of gaming for a few years i missed that whole wii u era like i jumped onto the wii u the day i saw a post going that it was being discontinued i was like i should probably get the wii u now but when i took a break from gaming i was big into comics i mean for many years i had i think close to thirty thousand comics i was buying all marvel dc i mean i was huge and then just like you know, once you get to know me, you notice that I just go in waves. I collect like crazy and then I sell it. I keep what I want. And then I just move on to the next hobby. So when I sold my comics, which was in 2016, I got into the retro scene. And growing up also, you know, born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s, had Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, TurboGrafx, all that stuff. But I was never a heavy collector back then. I was a kid. So I would buy what my parents would, you know, get me for gifts and stuff like that. Um, so when I started into the retro scene i just went you know gung-ho i just sold my comics and put all that money really into nes super nintendo n64 i tried to go for a whole game boy original collection like i just went crazy and then it kind of like petered off i saw my collection growing and i realized i wasn't playing the games as much as i should be and i simmered down and then the switch got announced and i remember watching that uh the the official reveal of it they're showing the joy cons the one two switch and and I'll be honest, I mean, I'll, I'll first want to say, it. I thought it was a little gimmicky. I was like, okay, I, I could see like, you feel like marbles in your hand. I think that's cool. I like the idea of, you know, being able to take it on the go, especially now that I would travel for work, but it got me interested again. And, you know, I, I'm a marketing major. I love advertising. I love marketing. I love those cases. I love those small little cases. It just visually appealed to me. 
the fact that it was, you know, back to cartridges again, I really liked that as well. And I thought, I honestly thought that it was going to be like the Wii U. I'm like, oh, it's going to have like 200 games at most. I could go for a full set, no problem. And no before problem. I knew it, I've got, I think, over a thousand at this point. And <laughs> I mean, when I'm a full set collector, the only thing I'm not actively collecting are Japanese only releases. Those are more casual, if I can use that word, but everything else. So US, EU, Asia, English. I mean, anything that supports English, I buy it. If it's a variant cover between regions, I buy it. I used to go for collector editions. Then it went a little insane. So I, I focused mainly on like regular editions and I get yeah. those. But I'm a day one buyer. So if a game's coming out on Tuesday, I'm getting it on Tuesday. I don't wait for sales. Uh, Jeff is a smarter buyer than I am, but I just, <laughs> I'm impatient. Um, but what's interesting to me is that, you know, before I knew it, I had this big collection of Switch. I got myself involved in the community by first finding out about a website looking for reviewers. And I figured, well, I'm collecting now. I think it'd be cool to write uh, about the Switch. And, and the website's called The Switch Effect. So it was one month old at the time. I reached out to the site owner and I sent her a review of Sonic Mania. Uh, I wrote the review. She liked it. But then I told her, I don't really have that much time to write reviews. What if we did interviews? And I started reaching out to developers and publishers. And that's how I feel like I got integrated into this community is that I just started to connect with all these people making the games. Um, so I was with that site for a number of months. I went to another site for another few months. I wrote a little bit for the uh, Switch Player magazine. If you're familiar with that, it's UK based. Uh, the only dedicated Nintendo Switch monthly magazine. And then afterwards, I was like, why don't I just start my own site? So that's where JP Switch Mania came. At that point, you know, people got to know me as this crazy collector. And Jeff and I connected. We started the podcast. And my love for the Switch just kept growing every week. I mean, every time a new game came out, I was... I was uh, I was motivated to, to buy them because I started to know the people behind the games. I got to know the community of other gamers who were looking forward to these games. And yeah, it just, it blossomed from there. Um, and now, you know, we talk about Nintendo dads a little bit. You know, my son just turned five. I got him his first Switch and he discovered the NES and SNES online apps. And that's all he plays. And to watch him play the older games, you know, on my favorite console is just another reason why I love the Switch because it's now connecting us um, and he's starting to become a gamer through the Switch. So to me, the Switch just hits all the right points. It's the first system I feel like connected with. It's the first system I've been part of a community with. My son's playing. My wife is playing. My three-year-old daughter's starting to play. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, the Switch you, is... You notice how he said he hasn't playing it. I play a little bit. I play a little bit. I guess that's a, that'd be the question I have for you as well, JP. Like, so if, you know, you know we're, we're being fully transparent. Like tomorrow, Age of Calamity drops. Right. Yep. So, mm -hmm. Are you rolling into your Best Buy or your GameStop, your EB Games, and they're like, "Oh, it's JP again. Here's your stack of five games." So, Best Buy tags so, JP. <laughs> yeah. So before COVID, Best Buy knew me. Um, sure. They they used to a lot. I don't know if it's because of COVID, but they used to be very active on on Twitter because that's where I mainly am is on on Twitter. But they would. I started this thing called uh, Sky Picks. I would go to Best Buy, go outside, take a picture with Best Buy behind with new game every Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and they started to you know share and comment. And then COVID hit, so I don't go to stores anymore. Sure, I guess. Um, okay. I, I mainly you know order them and they deliver. I'm sure the UPS and the FedEx and the USPS guy knows my house by now. But yeah, Best Buy. I mean, I walk in and they, I wouldn't even have to give them ID. They would just be like, "How many Switch games?" And they would go in the back, find it. But uh, you talk about Age of Calamity, I'm probably not going to play it day one. 
Um, I'm not a sealed collector. It's just I don't have as much time as I'd like. So I open the games as I get to them. Uh, and right now I'm focused on Cobra Kai. So I got to finish that one first. And then I would definitely jump into. That was a playcast game from like a month ago. Just so yeah. You know. Like we I'm already talked behind. about it and reviewed it. <laughs> now, now I it. will absolutely be playing Age of Calamity because I played the through the demo and beat and played through that and actually played a couple levels over again extra to have all my save carry over. And that game's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there there's a ton of there's a ton of that that kind of the space there for for that. Um let's let's really talk about, you know, we've spent a lot of time in that physical realm of it. Mm-hmm. Nintendo has, and, and on their earnings call, very, very clearly indicated this, this increase in digital sales, right? Digital sales continues to be a large area that Nintendo's growing. And I, and I think, JP, you mentioned here, COVID, right, it mm-hmm. is, is oh, right yeah. now. We're, we're not able to get out to stores, you know, maybe depending on how we feel about that. That continues to be a marketplace that seems to be hot, right? And, oh, yeah. and um, obviously, we see a lot of success in, in those sales as well. And it's not uncommon for a developer or publisher to say, we moved our game over the switch had tremendous success digitally, you know, and we'll talk about in a couple of moments, idea of maybe creating a physical copy. And that's where you guys as company come into play there. Mm-hmm. But we also see them now leading to this new space. Um, and, and, and I'll use control cloud version, yep. right. As an indicator <laughs> of that. And then we have Hitman three slated yeah. in 2021 as well. What does that say about, I guess, maybe where people are as uh, collectors or, and how does that impact you and, and, and your feelings on, on collections as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start. Digital trend is definitely on the rise. I mean, you see it now even with the new consoles, they have discless versions and you still see people going for the disc-based. I mean, even if I wasn't now as a physical publisher, I still gravitate towards physical media. I always have, you know, when it comes to a book or the Kindle, I'm buying the book because I need to hold something. It needs to be tangible. I need to own it. And I'm just one of those old school people that I just don't feel I own a digital game, a digital book. I feel like at any point it could be taken away. I could, you could lose it. Whereas, you know, you have something that you could display on your shelf. You can pop it into your system. You can hold it in your hand, smell it. And I say smell because of comic books that has that distinct sure. smell. Um, he licks the I, games. There's probably videos of you licking cartridges. Isn't no, it? no, no. That's why they have the warning now because of me. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um. You know, you definitely see it. And even now with uh, a five-year-old, I, I see the benefit of digital. It's so easy for them to just jump into the home screen, pick a game they want, as opposed to trying to open up, take it out. But I definitely think that I, I don't see physical going away anytime soon. I definitely think there's a shift towards digital. But I don't know. I just feel like that nostalgia factor is very big. I mean, you really shouldn't discount that because, you know, for our generation now, which we're all probably around the same age, I mean, that's what we harken back to. And I think it's going to stay with us. That's why there there still is a big physical presence. That's why there's lots of companies wanting to produce physical games and physical goodies, even vinyls coming back now. So while I see the trend rising, I don't see it going away. Um, I would be very surprised if Nintendo went, you know, cartridge list or disc list in the future, uh, as soon as maybe, you know, Sony or Microsoft will. So Jeff, maybe you have a different view on that. So, so my question is, I think JP missed the actual 
the interesting piece that he was asking, which is the games that he mentioned are not Nintendo Switch games. They're actually going to be, quote unquote, streamed from a server where all the processing power is done on the back end. And we literally have a visual representation on the game operated through the switch so you're essentially just connecting the controls to a server through an online mechanism which is not even feasible to do a physical version of which yeah i think it's super interesting and it's kind of like what they were trying to push with the cloud-based services that we saw from google Mm -hmm. um and if they can pull it off and there's no lag which I don't see with the, with the garbage internet connection I get in my house and we pay for a lot of uh, bandwidth and we still can't have consistent streaming, even for online play. I don't see it being as flawless of an experience as they're, they're going to need, but technology keeps increasing. 5G is about to be fifth generation is about to come out for when it comes to cell phone technology. And as they continue to put up, more and more of those towers because you know the 5g it's not the giant cell phone towers that we're used to but they actually have to install tiny towers all over the big you know metro areas that's what's going to cause the increase of connectivity that should allow these the connectivity of the data streams to get a little quicker and i think once it gets to that point where there's no lag it's interesting i think having more games to play is never a bad idea but I always call it, which is ironic now that it does have a release that's coming out, the Scott Pilgrim effect, where we all lost our access to Scott Pilgrim versus the world on the 360. Um, It's now coming back out, thank goodness. But, you know, that is going to be an ongoing thing where, oh, generation's done, server's off, move to the next thing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't and, like that. And, and, and I'll be, I'll be fully transparent is, is interesting. Right. So I, I look uh-huh. at a lot of the movements that Nintendo does from a business perspective. I find video game business decisions incredibly mm-hmm. interesting. Right. So when they came out and said, sure, look at folks, we're going to have this cloud version. Mm-hmm. I, I, from business perspective, when that's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now you're, you're closing that generational power gap that we're seeing with, with PlayStation and Xbox and you're staying uh-huh. competitive. I think this is very interesting. Also, as a player, and I'll be fully transparent, I am only I only own a Nintendo Switch. I don't own a PlayStation, an Xbox, any of those games. So mm-hmm. I don't have access to, to certain games. So when they're like, you want to play cloud version of control streaming? I was like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and so I, I picked it up. And I live in an area, I live in Western Canada, uh, where my internet is very solid and very good. And I've been able to have that experience. And so I was talking about it on the show, saying I think this is an incredible move, business decision. Well, the feedback I got back very quickly from our community was, sure, but let me tell you why that's a horrible thing as a collector. Let me tell oh, you why horrible that, is, that, that is that is a, uh, uh, you know, and to your point, the experiences can be taken away. So it's very interesting to see them experiment in this idea, I think, kind of moving in space of a Google Stadia, a Luna, mm-hmm. right? And, and what that means as collectors as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting piece, too, is that even from a preservation standpoint, like, some of these online experiences that we think will go away will likely have a community that will stand them up to maintain them for the future after that system is gone. But when it comes to something like a stream play, like they're going to have to remake that, or are you just going to actually emulate it from the original system? If you're going to emulate, why would you emulate a stream play? You wouldn't. So that would actually be an experience that's only able to be had while it's live kind of like the you know mario 35 with the community and then when they cut that off the community is gone and same deal yeah absolutely it's it's a very uh, i think it's a very interesting space and again it's you know i think from a 
from a collectors from those digitals. The other part of it that, that, I've, that I've seen a growth a growth in as well is this idea of first digital, then physical. And maybe that's a little bit of where you guys can yeah. lean in. Tell me a little bit about obviously your company that you've created to, to work in this space as well. Uh, I saw this various, uh, you know, the one that kind of, you know, really much comes to my mind was in September, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Yep. Right. That was announced as a shadow drop digital today that you can get. And I was like, yep, I'm in. Right. Yep. Downloaded it instantly. And then they're like, oh, and by the way, in, in three months from now, here's a physical version of everything. Yep. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Right. So we're seeing these companies, these partnerships. So maybe you guys can talk to me a little bit about your company and, and how that works as well. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you why the physical first and then I'll let JP rob the company. Um, <laughs> so the physical piece is simply just because it takes a while for Nintendo to approve. Um, unlike the other companies, Nintendo's process is a little slow and takes about two to three months because, you know, they're a Japanese based company. So even when we do our games in Nintendo of America, we're doing ESRB copies, all of that. Um, it still has to go all the way back to Japan for approvals and all this other stuff where it takes a lot of back and forth time. Uh, COVID's made it even worse, by the way. But um that being said that's why it's typically like oh the digital's out there because that's the first step of the process get the digital approved once the digital is approved now we can work toward the physical production <laughs> yeah i mean the other piece also is that depending on the, the developer you know if they're a one-man studio they may not have the funding or the resources to do a physical digital is a lot easier to do you could self you know publish on the switch you can get the the the, the rights to do that and it's it's uh less money investment to just do a digital. Um, and a lot of times, you know, interviewing developers and publishers, you know, it's also proof of concept. You know, you make the digital first, you make it accessible and you see how well it does. And you will have those people that will never buy digital no matter what they're say physical or, you know, I'm just missing it. And other people will support the developer. They'll get behind it and they'll buy the game, you know, two, three times, depending on how it comes out, how, you know, different consoles, digital, physical, special editions, things like that. But I can absolutely see it when you're a smaller studio and you've been working on the game for years, it, it's a big risk to go physical. Um, that's why you see them partnering up with other limited or indie publishers. Uh, you know, some of them do self-publish physically, but for the most part, you do see them partnering because, you know, it's, it's a lot of time, a lot of investment. It's not just, you know, submitting the game to Nintendo and making a cartridge. It's, it's all the artwork, the assets, you know, it, it's every piece of that, the distribution, things like that. So, um, yeah, I could... Uh, I could see why, you know, some people tend to go digital first and then, you know, physical later, stuff like that. You know, for our company, you know, it came out of out of a want to help preserve those games. So Jeff is is the video game historian. I'm a big collector. I love being able to know that I can play a game in 10, 15 years. I can share it with my kids. Um, and there's so many games, if we just talk about the Nintendo Switch on the eShop alone, that you know, years have gone by already and it's still digital and we couldn't understand why. Like, how could this game not get picked up? physically um so you know we we talked about it for a good long while over a year you know even before we started the playcast and we were just toying around with the idea like should we do this how do we go about it what games would we would we want to pursue and finally you know in august august 11th this year we dropped our premiere direct trailer on youtube that announced our company it announced our first game that was for pre-order that day which was super blood hockey um and it is available again on our website to pre-order or if you're in Canada or internationally, Video Games Plus, great, great company. Um, sure, Blood Hockey is ridiculous too. It's an insane NES style game with gore all over the place. And we, I think we have the goriest cover 
that's yes. going to be on the Nintendo uh, Switch. Most blood ever. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. Looking at looking at the uh, the premium edition homepage right now, and it is the key the key oh. artwork right there. I was like, that is a. Uh-huh. They are not lying when they say super blood. There is a yes. lot. <laughs> and and Jeff, who did the cover? Uh, so the so the cover um, of the premium edition, the actual game case, is done by Sean Daly, who um, it worked on the music in the game, and he actually yeah. does comic books. Yep, he's, um, the, he's the composer, and he's a comic book artist, and mm-hmm. we got to use his art, which was it's awesome. Um, but I mean, that's that's the beauty of now being in in the spaces that we really get to know the team behind the games. And you realize or you, you learn that they have other talents that you can still, you know, incorporate. So, you know, he made the music, but he also made the physical cover now. And that piece of artwork really hadn't been shown before. Um, so just a little side thing. But um, we do crazy yeah, so, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So we, you know, we saw this need and and now we're, we're pursuing it. You know, we we feel we're very integrated, like I said, into the video game community, especially the collector community. People know us. They know Jeffrey's books. They know my site and, you know, what I promote. So we thought it'd be a good time to to just launch right into it. We did. And, you know, pre-orders went very well uh, for Super Blood Hockey. Now we're in pre-orders for Pigeon Dev Games Collection. Um, and if Jeff wants to tell the little fun switcheroo with the production of those two games, I'll let him uh talk about that but yeah um so sorry jeff before you go on so and then in our direct we also announced a third game which was a robot named fight and you know we both knew about this game you know when it first came out has a cult following and again it was another game that we just didn't understand how is there no physical for it like there is demand and it's such a great metroidvania style game and you know when we launched we reached out they were eager they jumped on board and and we're happy that we're going to be able to publish that physically. That's great. Excellent. Yeah. And that is one of the things that, and Jeff, I do want to hear your story here, but that's one of the things that I've noticed. I've had an opportunity to attend, you know, EGX and Gamescom when we were all yep. able to travel and see these events. Oh, yeah. Right. And and meet with these developers and publishers and, uh, and just some fantastic uh, folks who are just so passionate about it. Right. And about their, about their content that they created and are just, um, you know, I think that's the thing that, that I, you know, I would say it's video games in general, but I think definitely what I've seen from the Switch community is this excitement, this just yep. pure energy. And to your point, like getting to know these individuals, there's, you know, how's your, how, what's going on with your life and, and how are you and understanding them, I think is, is such a, an interesting layer that we kind of get more connection with them and whether yep. it's through social media or, or transparency with them um, that builds a genuine relationship that we, that we feel for them as well. Jeff, Absolutely. tell me about this weird print, weird reprinter or, yes. or, or model. Uh, I think he was saying like production, but um, yeah, but like, yeah. but like it was funny. Our when we first launched the company, we're like, well, our first thing is we got to find passionate developers, and like literally that was a terrible idea because they're all passionate. Every single developer, yeah. super yeah. passionate. We're like, oh, this is this is gonna be change the business lot. model. <laughs> we had to literally change <laughs> and shift a little. Um, but. Uh, the thing that you got to be weary of in this day and age is that you've had a bunch of companies out there that have popped up and they've never produced anything before. So you see companies pop up and don't have a sustainable business plan. Whereas with JP and I, like I've been running a publishing company for books for the last six years. I've also done aftermarket NES homebrew releases. I've done five of those. And so like, I, I know what it takes to do game production. I know what it takes to QAQC quality products, all the different nuances and pieces. And I do the production side, whereas JP does the marketing. Um, 
but the thing is, is that we already have the games in production. Uh, when we put the first game up for pre-order, we started the whole back and forth in Nintendo because it takes a couple months. So we're in production now, and we have Pigeon Dev Games Collection, which is a four-in-one where we took four digital games, put them on one cartridge. So when you pop the card in, four games pop up. So you get Awesome right. P One and Two, Bucket Nine, Explosive Jake, all by the same developer. We thought that was a really cool idea to expand the preservation piece. Yeah. And so, but the game's already in production. So when we put it up, it's already being manufactured by Nintendo. So the wait isn't going to be three months. Like I think they told us the 20th is when they're going to start shipping them. That's what oh, the wow. estimated date was. Well, that's like soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might be now. <laughs> um, but like, again, COVID and all those things, things shift left, right, whatever. But it's already in production. So when we see other people are like, oh, well, this company did this. It's like, well, we're already in production, people. Like, <laughs> I mean, cool. We pre- and th- we've had lots and lots of people support us, which has been amazing. Uh, but from a production standpoint, like it's been really fun. Uh, we're doing what we call our premium edition is our regular release. And I have to blame uh, from our playcast Barry, whose wife said, well, you can't do anything normal. You're premium edition games. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now our Nova release is our premium release, which yeah. every single one's going to obviously have a manual. Um, we're going NES style because that's just what we like. We like the NES mm-hmm. flavor. So it's all going to be that landscape style manual uh, with sticker in there is just to have a little bonus and uh, a trading card that's going to be double faceted where you're going to have a little cool collectible card that'll go with each one. But on the back is the idea that I had pulling from the second generation Activision releases. I don't know if you uh, played a lot of Atari 2600. Yeah. 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 Um, So if you remember with Activision, if you set a high score and mailed it into them, like a picture, they would mail you a patch. So on the back of our cards, there is a challenge. And when you and the challenge is set by the developer, when you do this challenge, you, you follow the instructions, which is like social media posts to help us, you know, get the game out there yeah. and we'll mail you a patch. So we already have the patches for Super Blood Hockey and Pigeon Dev collection. Yeah. And so essentially we're going to have a thousand of each patch. You know, it's going to be limited um, based on how many copies of the game, you know, it's limited. And so the pe- the first people that get us that will get mailed a physical patch that they can use to complete out their game. And the key is, is they got to play the games now. So, you know, the JP collector likes to put everything on their shelves. They're going to start getting antsy because <laughs> in order to get the, every item that we have. Um, and then to put the icing on the cake, uh, we have a slip case that each one's going to go in. And the art is done by Paul Niemeyer, who is known for doing Tron as well as the Mortal Kombat logo. Oh, wow. So he did cool. Mortal Kombat art and he's doing all of our slip cases as he's like a really awesome dude, got to know him at conventions. Um, and so he's doing all the slip cases and, you know, we're doing that. That's like our normal edition, our yeah. premium edition. But then we have a retro edition that we put a, a retro style box. The first one is going to be NES style, black box style for Pigeon Dev and a steelbook inside. Um, and that's like our retro edition. And of course the game fits in there too. So, and it all builds. And then we go to our deluxe, which I go to my, I'm an author, I'm a historian. And we're not just doing an art book like you've seen with a lot of these game releases. We're doing old school strategy guides um, with hardcover 
and it's going to be have the strategy guide for the game. So Pigeon Dev is going to be our first premium guide. It's going to have all four games in their strategy guide style where you can know where all of the things are. But also from a historian perspective, we've interviewed the developers and t- telling their story so that so the pigeon dev she she's done um she doesn't speak or read english but we got an interview with her with her whole history behind the development and how she became in, integrated in video games as well as the legacy of what the game is and our story our crazy story of producing things and like jp had an idea where we're going to throw in some of our demo things that didn't pan out as well so we got like (laughs) for example i created a design for a a cover before we had before the developer actually did some awesome the art that's for pigeon dev the developer did that um i created my own and it looks ridiculous where they're all popping out of a tv and stuff and (laughs) so we're gonna use that too so we're gonna have like the call it the game the guide the legacy but it's hardcover um i'm gonna be going like old school novel style like like looking like an old school old timey book which is going to be ridiculous too um and that goes inside goes with the premium deluxe case the deluxe case is going to be another piece where the retro edition fits in it with a full soundtrack and a enamel pin and that book and deluxe case are going to fit inside of another slip case that looks like konami style um and so it's all so on like the website we ha- if you want to see what it looks like right yeah, now. it's no a lot of stuff it's ridiculous yeah. and we just want to show people that we are pretty much uh quantifiably insane yep. um but when- it's going to be an amazing thing that you can have if you want to have all of the things you can have all of the things if you want to just get the game we got just the game um, if you want a cool retro box with a, with a steel book, cause I know for myself and, and JP, we kind of go toward just the retro aesthetic stuff. That's what we go for. Yeah. If you want to, you want to get a, an awesome strategy guide, you can buy that a la carte too. Um, so like, we have lots of options. We want to have a little something for everybody and everything is already created. And besides for the guide, which I'm literally, um, QAQC right now, it's, it's completely written, but like I am very OCD when it comes to the quality of the books. Um, but besides for that, everything else is already done in order. Yeah, I will say that, you know, us growing up buying those games, there used to be a lot of stuff in the boxes, in the cases. Mm-hmm. And over the years, you get to the point where you maybe have a manual, maybe you have a little piece of paper that says, download the manual, go to this website. You open it up, it's blank. I mean, you know, open up a <laughs> Nintendo Switch case. There's little t- like insert tabs. Something's supposed to go in there. Yeah, that, that and, there's never an instruction manual for it. Right. right. And, you know, it's really with a lot of the limited indie publishers that, you know, sometimes do a manual, sometimes do a little mini art book. But with our releases, you know, we do get the questions like, why can't you just make a case in the game? That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because we want to preserve the game and we want to give the respect to the developer that worked on it, the digital publisher, if they're involved. And that's by going just crazy with, I mean, the, the manual it's going to be a 20 plus full color NES style manual. Like you remember seeing back in the day. I mean, it, it's so detailed and it's going to be with all of our releases. You know, the slip cover is just an added little bonus just to display some more artwork, just to have it look a little bit nicer than, you know, a typical retail release. And that's important to us. Like that's why we're throwing in the challenge card and we're doing the sticker and all those pieces. Because when you open up, you know, our premium edition case, you want it to feel full. You want it to feel like, I got my value, not just the game, but you get extra little items and, and physical goodies that you just don't see anymore. 
Yeah. We also have things we haven't even announced. And when yes. people open it, they're going to be like, wow, we didn't even talk about here. And yeah. the other thing is, is that like I do all of the design work. So like for Super Blood Hockey, I took aesthetics and inspiration from NES Ice Hockey. Like I literally have the manual, opened it up and like, oh, here's how they do this and this. And here's mm -hmm. the the slant that they use for instruction booklet and all of the stuff. Like I literally mirrored it one for one. The one thing Nintendo wouldn't allow was the precautions. I had a funny precaution that said, don't lick the cartridge. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> they, didn't make it. They, they didn't want that. Um, and Nintendo has to approve everything, by the way, which yeah. is which is fun. Sure. That's great. Wow, I mean, it sounds. I mean, it sounds like it's such a such an interesting, like you know, going from uh, a passion to being into a business model, uh, and really looking to preserve just the nostalgia and the importance of these legacies uh, is is really amazing. So that's I, I that's I was looking at some of your stuff here. This is absolutely amazing. Thank um, you. Going back to kind of the, the and, and I want to be cautious of time, so maybe this could mm -hmm. be our, our wrap up here. This idea, of this Encyclopedia Britannica, keeps going back to my mind. Here. Yes. <laughs> Ten years, ten years from now, and you're on season seven or, or year seven of the Nintendo Switch, and you're building this out. Switchopedia, right? <laughs> you should probably market that and trademark it if you haven't already. Um, where do you think? And this is kind of just quick round the horn. Nintendo's moving into our fourth year with the Nintendo Switch here in 2021 March. What what's the future look like for this console? How does it stay relevant in relation to Xbox and PlayStation? Obviously, dropping their next gen consoles. Does it need to? Does it matter? What are your hopes and dreams of it? And I guess where does this? Where do, where do you think it goes from here? So, uh, so what's interesting to me is that the Switch technically, because I've done the Hidden Gaming Gems generation by generation book, and the Switch technically was the next, the first console in the next generation, but this last console generation did something that no other generation did, and that was the iterative console releases. So the Switch actually falls in line with the Xbox One X and the PS4 Pro, and that's where the Switch falls in. It's actually an iterative upgrade from the Wii U in terms of, quote-unquote, generation timelines. Mm -hmm. So the PS5 and Xbox Series X are the next generation, um, it's going to be interesting to see how Nintendo goes with it. Being Nintendo, um, they're probably going to release something called the new Switch because they've done it with the 3DS. They've done it, like yeah, yeah. literally put something into it and do a iterative console upgrade for the Switch. I mean, we've been hearing rumors of the Switch Pro since since year two. Yeah. Um, I hope from a you know gamer perspective that they keep it backward compatible more forward compatible um with the new 3ds there was only a couple games that were exclusive to that console um i would assume that the new switch would offer some kind of substantial upgrade to where there would be a noticeable gap in generation i just hope that they keep it backward compatible that way we can just you know keep on releasing all these digital games too that haven't gotten a physical because that's our thing is we don't want to stop doing the switch we also haven't expanded to any other console because we're just nintendo fanboys at heart so <laughs> i mean that's what we are but but yeah so it's it's interesting it'll be interesting to see where they go in the future what about you jp i i agree with everything you said for me when i look at what they've been doing nintendo always likes to experiment they like to do different mm -hmm. things and what i'm starting to see more is you started with labo they had four versions of Labo. It did well. I mean, you know, people are still looking for like the VR one, but it's kind of simmered down. You don't see them in directs. You don't really see them promoting it. But then they go to Mario Kart Live, and it's a new way to use your Switch because it's still a Switch game. I mean, you download it off the eShop, 
but you're interacting in real life. And I honestly feel that that's where they're moving. They're trying to take the, the system and not just make it a system that you play on, but you play with um, and you use it and you, in, and, and you find new ways to incorporate the system in, in like your daily life in a way. And I really do feel that I don't know if Labo is going to continue because I feel like it's been a while since we've had anything since that fourth one. But Mario Kart Live, I mean, it, it adds a new fun factor. It adds something different. And I don't know. I just I see Nintendo experimenting. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I do believe we're probably going to see like a pro version at some point that may be console only with, you know, higher graphics and resolution, things like that. But I definitely see them incorporating the Switch to be used with in a, in a different way of a device. Um, also, we have, last thing I would say is you have a lot of anniversaries coming up. We had Mario's 35th. We've got Zelda, Metroid coming up. I definitely see them doing a lot of stuff, at least in, in the short term, of re-releases, remakes, um, because I think they're starting to realize that that nostalgia is very strong. You know, you had the 3D All-Star collection go very well and still doing well. So I, I definitely see them touching upon that and knowing that their their base grew up with them. Um, and I think they're going to be paying tribute to that in, in some ways with future releases. Yeah, I think Nintendo, I think I would agree with everything you said there. I think Nintendo has done a really good job where they've, they've really woken up to this idea in the last several years that we can, our fans will pay for the same game a billion yep. times, right? I can't tell you how many times I own Super Mario 2, one of my favorite games of all times on almost every platform. <laughs> and if they gave it to me in the Switch, I'd probably do it again, right? I mean, and you just, you just continue to. Switch I online. Mean, yeah, that's I mean, exactly it, right? You look at the Wii U, there's very few Nintendo first party games from the Wii U that are not on the Switch. And they've all done considerably better because obviously there's a bigger uh, consumer base now for the Switch. But these are games that people either passed up on the first time or maybe tried it, but they're rebuying it or buying it for the first time. And they may add just a little bit of extra content, but it's essentially, I mean, it's like a, a rebirth of these games. And, you know, once you finish the Wii U market, start going to the Wii market, go to the GameCube market. Um, and I definitely think we're going to be seeing that. Yeah, excellent. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to start wrapping up here, uh, but I do want to make sure that we give you guys both an opportunity to direct people to either websites, Twitter, sure. promotions, wherever you need to direct people. And uh, I will I will say in relations as well, we'll put these in the YouTube links as well. Thank you. We'll put it on our Facebook, Twitter, all those platforms that we share as well. But I want to make sure that you guys have that uh, platform here. Sure. So first and foremost, while there's still a few days left, go to Kickstarter, type in the Switch Collector Volume 2 or click the link below back it if you haven't already if you have just share it with your friends because it really is a great series a lot of love goes into you know making the book high quality and we plan on doing this for years to come uh outside of that premiumeditiongames.com where you could pre-order our first two releases which is super blood hockey and pigeon dev games collection pigeon dev is the only way to get all four games on one cartridge for the nintendo switch through our release if you're in the u.s go to premiumeditiongames.com anywhere else videogamesplus.ca uh, they come, they carry all of our titles. Also listen to Jeff, myself and Barry on the weekly switch mania playcast series. If you want to be kept up in the loop of all switch uh, physical releases and whatnot, JP switch mania, just type that in anywhere. You'll probably find me on all social media and whatnot. And Jeff. <laughs> JP has all of the things. Um, <laughs> so I'm on Facebook and Twitter at Hagen's alley. Um, it's H A G E N like Hogan's alley, right? That's all my wife. Um, <laughs> and then it's uh Hagen's alley.com is where the books are. So there's multiple books on Friday the 13th, the NES, super Nintendo, tons of stuff out there. There's still copies of the complete virtual boy too. Um, that was one of my later releases and we just want to keep doing fun stuff. So we appreciate uh, you taking the time to uh, chat with us. Absolutely. Thank you.
Yeah, gentlemen, thank you very much. And uh, and folks, uh, make sure you head over, give them a like, a subscribe, follow them. They've got tons of information. I've got an opportunity to flicker through the, the website that they provide in Kickstarter. Make sure you support them. This is amazing uh, work. And they're Nintendo dads. And that's really mm -hmm. what's, what's important as well, guys. <laughs> uh, JP, Jeff, have a fantastic day. Thanks very much. Thank Thanks. you, Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Nintendo Dads.